Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today it is time for me to catch up on UFC 276 thoughts and comments. This one's going to be pretty quick, just a bit of a rapid take on everything that I've seen thus far. I don't know why I said thus far, um, considering I've seen literally all of it uh, like four days ago. So what I'm going to do is just go from the first fight all the way through to the main event, give some quick thoughts and comments on what I saw so let's start with the opening fight, and as well it's worth noting my head-to-head -head record in terms of my preview and predictions for the weekend. I had 10 one and one no contest was my record, so 10 correct. Obviously there was the one no contest, and I only got one wrong head-to-head, -head, which was our opening fight. I backed the Aussie in, Jessica Rose Clark, over Julia Stoliarenko, and I did say that if there was going to be a finish, I thought it would be a Stoliarenko submission, but I thought Jessica Rose Clark would have learnt her lesson. I'm sure she learnt the lesson, but unfortunately, within 42 seconds, she got submitted again. Rose Clark came out really, really hard from the get-go, which I liked the intent early. She was obviously looking to make amends from her last loss, but once again, like not the same kind of situation, but very much the same kind of thing happened where she made a mistake and it was capitalized on very, very quickly. So unfortunately for Jessica Rose Clark, she was submitted in 42 seconds by Julia Stoliarenko with the Lithuanian picking up a performance of the night bonus, very much well-deserved. So that was the only one head-to-head -head that I had wrong. Really disappointing to see Jessica Rose Clark once again go down by submission. And Julia Stoliarenko, well, she finally gets her first win inside the UFC. And she'll be looking to kick on within the women's bantamweight division. Hopefully we won't have to wait too long to see Stoliarenko back as well, given that it only took her 42 seconds to get the win here. So Jessica Rose Clark, it looks like she's either broken her arm or dislocated it. She's definitely injured, so... It's going to be a little while until we see Jessica Rose Clark back in action, but for Julia Stoliarenko, the biggest win of her young career, the Lithuanian getting it done by submission. Up next, we had Jessica I up against Macy the Future Barber. I had Macy Barber winning by decision. That's exactly what went down. At the start of the fight, Jessica I actually looked like she had control. She had Barber clinched up against the cage, but Barber defensively was on point, throwing some really nasty elbows in the clinch. And as I said in the preview, I thought that having Team Alpha Male and Uriah Faber in her corner was going to be what got Macy Barber the win. That's how it went down. Was hugely impressed with how Macy Barber performed. And she finally seems like she's putting the right things together to make a run inside the women's flyweight division. So with that being said, Macy Barber should move into the top 10 of the women's flyweight rankings. I actually believe the rankings have been updated, so I can check this as we go. And for Jessica Evil Eye, after the fight, she announced that she's retiring. So, look, she's taken on the toughest competition that the UFC has to offer. She's always down to fight, never one to pick and choose who she was going to fight. And that's given that she was number one ranked 
in the women's flyweight division at one point around 2020. So she could have easily said, I'll probably take this easier matchup. She was always game, always down to take on the best of the division. Jessica I calling it a career and congratulations to her. Hugely entertaining fighter and yeah, UFC will miss her no doubt. But now it's time for the youngster in Macy Barber to finally get her chance to make a push. And having a look at the rankings, Macy Barber has jumped up a couple of spots into 10th spot. So this win has got her into the division's top 10. For Jessica I, she's in 13th spot, but she's destined to fall out of the rankings now that she's retired, no doubt. So Jessica I, 13th, that won't be for too much longer. And Macy Barber comes in at 10th position. So she's officially entered the top 10. She's got names like Cynthia Calvillo, Andrea Lee, Casey O'Neill, the Australian, and Jennifer Meyer around her. So we'll be interested to see who they match Macy Barber up with next. Moving on to the next one on our early prelims. Very excited for this one. Prospect that I've been keeping an eye on for a while in Andre Muniz, Sergi Pano. Up against Uriah Hall, a very grizzled veteran known for his brutal knockouts. So, look, this was a really exciting one going into it. Uriah Hall never having been submitted in his professional career. And Andre Muniz, all four of his losses coming by way of knockouts. So, Uriah Hall was definitely the right guy to test him out. And at the time, Uriah Hall ranked 9th. Andre Muniz ranked 13th. But... Muniz got the job done by decision, so I had him winning by submission, and he did attempt it all fight he was chasing that submission, but it goes to show just how quality Uriah Hall is when it comes to those situations. I mean, Muniz is the only person to have ever submitted Jacare Souza, so he's definitely got the credentials, and I was highly impressed with what Uriah Hall was able to do, albeit on the losing end of the fight. So Andre Muniz getting another huge win. I said that would move him into the top 10 and having a look at the rankings, that is exactly what has happened. Andre Muniz now in 10th position, Uriah Hall dropping from 9th back to 12th. So Andre Muniz now finds himself in this perfect spotlight where he can start facing some top 10 names. He's got Darren Till just in front of him, Jack Hermanson, Sean Strickland has dropped back to 7th. And then you've obviously got some bigger names. But no doubt Andre Muniz is starting to make his title push. And given how many strikers we have in the middleweight division's top 10, I think he could cause some real issues for the guys he goes up against, given that he has such supreme grappling. He is a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And ultimately, I am very excited to see what Andre Muniz can do going forward. So Muniz getting the decision win over Uriah Hall. And then we moved on to another middleweight matchup that I was highly keen on. That was Drakus Duplessis up against Brad Tavares. I spoke about how Brad Tavares was incredibly durable and also how Drakus Duplessis had never won by decision. All his wins were via stoppage. And I was incredibly keen because Brad Tavares, he's no slouch. He's no walk in the park. But I was really high on the chances and the prospects of Duplessis. So sitting down to watch this, I ended up going Duplessis by knockout, but I was wary given that Brad Tavares, very much a durable opponent. But in the end, it went to decision, Drakus Duplessis getting the first decision win of his career. And up until one of the main card fights, I had this as my fight of the night. Incredibly entertaining. Brad Tavares did an amazing job. Like he copped a knee to the face 
flush right in the nose, right in the center of his face, a really brutal knee early on, and he just kept fighting. Dracus Duplessis was explosive in all his movements. It seemed like every single time he was looking for the fight ending strike, and he wasn't able to get it. So whilst Dracus Duplessis got the huge win, I was also very impressed with Brad Tavares. And like Dracus Duplessis would have knocked almost anyone else out in that fight. And it goes to show you just how tough Tavares is. With that loss, Tavares moves back into 15th spot. So he was 12th. He is now 15th in the middleweight division and in real danger of falling out of the rankings. As for Dracus Duplessis, he now moves into the top 15, previously unranked, and now he finds himself in 14th spot. He also spoke about how he would love to have another crack at Kelvin Gastelum, given that they were supposed to fight earlier this year. That fight got rescheduled or scratched, didn't end up happening. I think that is the way they'll go next. So keep your eyes peeled, but I'm going to say that Dracus Duplessis and Kelvin Gastelum seems like the right match to make. Given that Gastelum is ranked 11th, Dracus Duplessis in 14th, and it just makes a ton of sense to put them up against one another. So opening up that preliminary portion, we had Dracus Duplessis getting the decision win over Brad Tavares. Moving on, this one I actually thought potentially an upset could happen. I ended up switching my pick at the last second, which worked out well for me. It was Ian Gary up against gifted Gabe Green. I ended up going Ian Gary by decision. That was exactly the way it went. Uh, Gabe Green, not his best outing, but in saying that, I still have really high hopes for what this guy can do in the welterweight division. But for Ian Gary, the Irishman now based in Florida, extending his streak to 10-0, still undefeated, and the work he's doing at Sanford MMA clearly paying off. Very excited to see what Ian Gary can do in the welterweight division going forward. And for Gabe Green, look, he was the ultimate test for Gary. I really, really thought if there was someone at this stage of Ian Gary's career that could hand him a loss, I thought it could be Gabe Green. But ultimately, Ian Gary doing very, very well, and we'll have to wait and see what is next for the Irishman. After that, we saw some history in the making. Jim Miller making his 40th walk to the octagon and becoming... UFC's greatest winner, the most wins in UFC history, Jim Miller moving from 23 to 24, and the man he defeated, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, on 23 wins as well. So this was a fight for the most wins in UFC history. I spoke about that going into the fight. I ended up taking Jim Miller by knockout over Cerrone. My logic for that was that Jim Miller in fine, fine form, sorry, as of late, uh, whereas Donald Cerrone definitely on a noticeable slide. So I went with Jim Miller. I took Jim Miller by knockout and he got it done by submission, which in my opinion was pretty unbelievable. The only second person in history to submit Donald Cowboy Cerrone, which is pretty incredible given that Cerrone has competed in 55 fights. So Jim Miller, one of only two people across 55 fights that have managed to submit Donald Cowboy Cerrone. And with that, Jim Miller continues this late resurgence in his career. He's pegged that UFC 300 is where he wants to be. That's probably where he's going to call time. And let's not forget that Jim Miller, a part of UFC 100 and a part of UFC 200. So if he could make the 300 card, he would be the only person in history to have been on 100, 200, and 300, with Brock Lesnar being on 100 and 200. Wouldn't that be a fucking cracker if they brought him back uh, for 300? Although 
Taking a look at Brock Lesnar's rig, surely that's that doesn't pass a drug test like fucking hell. Anyway, Jim Miller getting it done by submission and afterward, Cowboy Cerrone putting the cowboy hat down, put, taking the gloves off and putting them down as well. That is time for Cowboy Cerrone. He's called it a career. Fair enough. He's been around for a hot minute. You've got to at some stage think about what your next move is. He's put a hell of a lot of things out there for the fans to enjoy, whether that be big knockouts or highlight fights, whether he's on the receiving end of losing or whether he's having his hand raised as the winner. It is always fun to watch Cowboy Cerrone. So we'll have to stay posted. He believes Hollywood probably his next move. And congratulations to Cowboy and congratulations as well to Jim Miller, who, on the other hand, no gloves down from Jim Miller. He is almost starting to hit his stride in a whole new way. Now a knockout artist starting to submit guys that have never been submitted or submitted once before across over 50 fights. So Jim Miller, holy shit. I mean, a few few fights ago, maybe he would have been laying the gloves down pretty soon. But now all of a sudden, coming off three straight wins, all finishes. Jim Miller is ripping and tearing like he's in his 20s. It's good to see, and I must say, very excited to see what is up next for Jim Miller. And speaking of what's up next, let's talk about our next fight on the card, the featured prelim, which definitely piqued my interest. We had Jalen the Tarantula Turner up against New Zealand's Brad Quake Riddle, and in a very unpatriotic and un-Kiwi-like move, I went against the Kiwi. I took Jalen Turner, and I just... I couldn't go for my home countrymen just given that Jalen Turner is a serious prospect. I've been watching this guy and I genuinely feel like this guy has the potential to really rattle some of the big names inside the UFC. So Jalen Turner, I took him to win by knockout. He ended up getting it done by submission in 45 seconds. That one was unbelievable. He stung Brad Riddle really early. You could see Riddle had that look in his eye where he's just like, ah, fuck. And then he tried to take Turner down and Turner just wrapped his neck up and got that submission instantly within 45 seconds. And we're talking a fight for a position in the top 15. Like Brad Riddle, or Brad Riddle, sorry, is no joke. This wasn't just some bum that was fed to Jalen Turner. This was the number 14 ranked lightweight, which is one of the most stacked divisions, not just in the UFC, but in the entire world across a multitude of organizations. So Jalen Turner made it look easy against an opponent who nobody's been able to make it look easy against. And we're talking a guy who recently matched up with Rafael Fazeev, and it took Fazeev quite some time to put Riddle away. So Jalen Turner making what is a very tough assignment look very, very easy. He's also huge for the lightweight division. Like, it's incredible. Like, looking at Jalen Turner up against Brad Riddle, it was basically two guys in different divisions. They looked completely different in stature, and it showed when the fight got underway, Jalen Turner making it look easy. And with that win, he moves into that number 14 spot, which was occupied by Brad Riddle. So now Jalen Turner in that top 15. Very curious to see who they matchmake him with. We've got Dan Hooker in the 13th spot, but it's been talked about that he's going to be facing Clay Guida next. Uh, Demir Ismagulov in 15th spot. That would be one hell of a matchup. Then you've got someone like Conor McGregor in spot number 12. So Jalen Turner, not too far away from a real big money, high profile fight. Could potentially see him in the main event of a fight night going forward. 
And Jalen Turner, if you've listened to the podcast before, you would know that I have a bit of a one to watch list. It's not a physical list. It doesn't exist in writing, but there's a hell of a lot of names that I'm keeping an eye on. And Jalen Turner is one of them. He's absolutely on the one to watch list. And yeah, remember the name because he's definitely going to be causing a lot of people issues at 155 pounds. Let's now get on to the main card action. This is where it was all at in terms of the excitement and the build and all of the hype. And it was International Bloody Fight Week. Like, fucking hell. What a, what a week to tune in for the fights. International Fight Week. Hell of a week, hell of a card. And now let's jump on to the main card. Starting with the opener, we had Sean O'Malley and Pedro Munoz. This one, very anticlimactic. Going into round two, and then about three minutes in, we see an illegal eye poke from Sean O'Malley. That leads this fight to end in no contest. And I'm not really going to speak about the result. Obviously, no contest. More so the chat surrounding it and all the fans saying that Pedro was looking for any excuse and criticizing Pedro Munoz. Like, some of the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my fucking life, honestly. Like... And this is coming, like, I haven't had a fight in a cage, so, but I'm not being a dickhead as well. Um, I feel like unless you've actually been inside the octagon and been in a fucking professional fight, then your opinion's pretty unwarranted when it comes to, like, whether someone was faking an eye poke or not. Have you been poked in the eye? I have. It fucking sucks. So I, I just don't understand at all the criticism of Pedro Munoz. You're talking about a guy who's taken on the best of the best, like, if this guy was game to fight Jose Aldo, you really think he's going to fucking duck Sugar Sean or try look for an excuse to get out? I think that's the stupidest shit ever. Like, let's not forget, it was Sugar Sean who poked Pedro in the eye. So I'm a fan of both guys. Not a fan of how fickle the MMA community are more often than not. Reminds me of the Aljamain Sterling thing. Like, oh, this guy's a clown. Like, you got an aid in the fucking head. It's, it's among some of the stupidest stuff. I've ever seen. Uh, definitely the Pedro Munoz stuff as well to say that he was scared of Sugar Sean, a guy that he's ranked higher than, a guy that he had the opportunity not to sign the contract to fight and he chose to sign the contract because he was keen to fight him. Um, and Sugar Sean, honestly, I'm a fan, but his carry-on has been ridiculous saying that he's still undefeated, that Pedro was looking for a way out. Uh, that just makes no sense. I think like Sugar Sean... He's definitely starting to get a lot more haters. I'm still a fan. Um, but if people are wondering why this guy's starting to get haters, I would point only to his two performances that didn't result in a win. Uh, now, we of course remember the Cheeto Vera fight, which Cheeto beat Sean O'Malley. You look at the professional record, there's a 1 next to the 15 or 14 or wherever Sean O'Malley's at at the moment. Uh, so that was absolutely a loss. I watched that live in real time was 100% a loss. Yeah, his fucking leg got hurt, whatever. So did Conor McGregor's against Dustin Poirier. And to my memory, Dustin Poirier won that fight. So that is definitely a legitimate loss. And Sean O'Malley's carry-on after that was honestly kind of lame. And Cheeto Vera, he just copped it. He was like, I fucking won. And look what Cheeto Vera is now. He's about to be in a main event up against one of the greatest bantamweights we've ever seen in Dominic Cruz to potentially state his case for the next title shot. Whereas Sean O'Malley carrying on like a bloody pork chop. Honestly, still a huge fan of Sugar Sean's, but 
yeah, he just acts like a bit of a dickhead when when things don't go the way he planned. This one, a no contest, a draw, and he's claiming it is a win, which the judges, two judges had Pedro up in the first round. So I don't know why Sean's carrying on like it was a win. Let's not forget that it was his eye poke that stopped the fight. Pedro didn't just say like, oh, no, stop, I've got a sore eye. Like, it was the lack of what's the word, discipline from Sean O'Malley that actually led to the eye poke. And Pedro Munoz, fair enough, he couldn't see. He had, what, like a fractured corneal or something? I can't remember the exact terminology um, of what the injury was, but he posted the doctor's report. It was as legitimate as any injury. And Sean O'Malley carrying on like that was a win. I'll tell you right now, I watched that. It definitely wasn't a win for Sugar Sean. That was a no contest. And that was down to Sugar Sean's eye poke. So I would like to see going forward Sugar Sean just own his performances a bit more. If he's going to gloat about all his wins, but then anytime it's a loss or no content or contest, sorry, um, that he's going to look for a way out or look for an excuse, then yeah, it definitely makes me a little bit less of a fan. I know it's a lot of it's for show and just trying to build that interest, but. Yeah, Sean O'Malley is not undefeated. I'm looking at his record right now. 15-1 and 1 no contest. So all of a sudden, a couple of blemishes on that record. Not looking as impressive. Although Sugar Sean, when it comes to the actual fighting aspect, he proved that he could hang with someone in the division's top 10. So as far as fighting goes, I definitely think he is someone to watch going forward. Whether he makes a title run, we may never know. But... At the same time, Sean O'Malley can definitely hang with these top 10 guys, and I'd like to see them uh, reschedule this one again, given that Sean O'Malley talking all kinds of shit, I am sure Pedro Munoz would love to get his hands on him, so we'll have to see what happens there. Henry Cejudo as well, running his mouth saying to Sean O'Malley uh, that he sucks. I saw a little bit of vision of that. That was after the fight, I think backstage, someone was interviewing Sean O'Malley, might have been Megan Olivi. I'm not too sure, I can't remember, but Henry Cejudo talking all kinds of shit, just saying like, hey kid, if you want to, if you want to fight me, I'd love a tune-up fight, and you suck, so that was pretty funny, I enjoyed that, you could tell Sugar Sean rattled by that as well, and yeah, the king of cringe, like, yeah, he talks some shit himself, but here's a guy talking shit on the back of two titles in different divisions, as well as being an Olympian and a fantastic wrestler, fantastic boxer, great coach, pretty good all-rounder Henry Cejudo. So in my opinion, he kind of has that leeway to talk a bit of shit, whereas Sugar Sean O'Malley coming off a no contest that was his fault, his fingers poking his opponent's eye. Uh, I just think Sugar Sean's shit talk a little bit less warranted at this stage of his career. Obviously, you want to build fights, you want to build a character and such, so there is a fine line between Sugar Sean, you know, being dead serious when he's saying these things, and then also just trying to build a profile and, you know, build up for his next fight. Maybe people are going to put some money down because they want to see him lose. So, Sean O'Malley, like, it's it's not the be-all and end-all, but definitely a lot of carry-on for a bloke who just got involved in a no contest that was his fault as well so the pedro munoz hate definitely unwarranted massive disrespect to a bloke who sits ninth in the division and has faced everyone asked of him so it makes no sense that all of a sudden given who pedro munoz has faced up to this point he's gonna choose sugar sean o'malley to chicken out like that's the fight where he's gonna be like oh no fuck i don't want a part of this like 
That's bullshit. That is straight up bullshit. Pedro Munoz, let me pull up his record. Let me pull up his record before I jump on to the next fight. Now, last year, Pedro Munoz took on Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, Jimmy Rivera. All killers, all legends. Then, in 2020, he took on Frankie Edgar, another legend. He's faced Aljamain Sterling. He's faced Cody Garbrandt, and that was before No Love's big losing streak. That was when Garbrandt was in a hot patch of form. Pedro Munoz has taken on Brian Carraway. He's taken on John Dodson. And look, he's taken on guys like Rob Font as well. So why all of a sudden is he going to choose Sean O'Malley as the guy that he's like, nah, actually, I, I don't want a piece of this. Like, fuck, this guy is so much more hectic to deal with than Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz. Like, I just, I don't buy that. And also, if you're one of the fans who are like, yeah, Pedro faked it to get out. Um, if you have a mirror in your bathroom, just quickly jump into the bathroom, turn the light on if it's a bit dark in there, have a look in the mirror and just take a good hard fucking look at yourself. Honestly, as if Pedro Munoz is going to back out of a fight like that. So he got poked in the eye. And if you still want to argue about that, I challenge you, get fucking anyone in your household to poke you in the eye and yeah, see how you feel. Now, on to the next welterweight contest. We had Brian Barberena and Robbie Lawler. I took Brian Barberena to get the job done by decision. Wasn't sure whether he'd have the power in his hands, um, but he did. He got the knockout over the legendary former welterweight champion in Ruthless Robbie Lawler. Wow. Ruthless fucking can't speak English more like. Ruthless Robbie Lawler and Brian Barberena. That's the biggest win of his career. And in some ways, like, his career was on the line. A loss or a boring performance, and UFC may give him one or two more fights, but that was kind of the trajectory of Brian Barberena. Like, he looked like potentially someone of one or two losses that could get cut. So he was fighting for his career, fighting for his livelihood, and that was the fight of the night. Not only did he get the win, but those two literally spent the entire fight just swinging hands, some leg kicks in there as well, but that was just from the minute it kicked off to the last minute of the second round when it was called off. It, it was just action. It was all action. They didn't stop swinging. The intent was there. Brian Barberena was constantly moving forward as well. That was definitely deserving of fight of the night. And now for Brian Barberena, well, all of a sudden, kind of excited to see what's next for him. He's not, not on my one-to-watch list, but definitely after that knockout... And given that he is coming off a win against Matt the Immortal Brown as well, all of a sudden Brian Barberena does have a claim that maybe he's ready for a step up in competition. Obviously these guys in themselves were a step up, but let's not forget Robbie Lawler, 40 years old. So maybe if we could get someone a bit closer to the prime of their career for Brian Barberena, that would be a good test. But ultimately Bam Bam getting the biggest win of his career. No gloves down from Robbie Lawler, so we had seen a couple of retirements. Not Ruthless Robbie, though. Hope to see him in action again soon. But this fight, the fight of the night, belonged to Brian Barberena. That leads us into our final three fights of the card. The three main events. We had the two title fights. But honestly, and this is strange, given that I'm a Kiwi living in Australia. Kiwi Australian, so I should have been most keen for the two title fights. But there was something about this next middleweight fight that I just couldn't shake. I was too excited for this one. I was arguably the most hyped for this fight. It was Sean Strickland up against Alex Poatan Pereira, the kickboxing legend. And 
look, that one didn't disappoint. I took Alex Pereira by knockout. My reasoning for that was that, look, there's 15 minutes in this fight and Sean Strickland may utilize the wrestling and things like that, but there was just something about Alex Pereira. I put it strictly down to being on the hype train and I just felt like somewhere in that 15 minutes, if he lays hands on Sean Strickland, I think Strickland's lights go out. So I ended up going with Alex Pereira. That is exactly what happened. A round one knockout under three minutes into the contest, Sean Strickland made that big mistake and respect to him. Like it was a mistake, but ballsy move. And seriously, like it takes a lot of fucking balls to be like, yeah, I'm going to stand and bang with Alex Pereira. So respect to Sean Strickland for trying to implement that game plan. But we saw what happens when you try and stand and bang with this guy. You get your lights shut out. Alex Pereira with a round one knockout. And at the time, Strickland ranked fourth in the division. So with that, Pereira now moves into the sixth spot in the middleweight rankings, previously unranked. And now all of a sudden, Alex Pereira has positioned himself as that next number one contender. I cannot wait. Potentially, it hasn't been announced, but I mean, I can't wait for that fight. I am a huge fan of Alex Pereira's, huge fan of Strickland's as well. Can't wait to see what's up next for him, but Pereira made the biggest statement possible getting that round one knockout victory. Also, uh, Pereira weighed in at the legal or under the legal middleweight limit but he was fighting at about 220 pounds on the weekend. So maybe just a tick under, but that is no joke. Alex Pereira literally rolling around at the size of a light heavyweight slash heavyweight. So that is definitely something to take into consideration when it comes to his matchup potentially with Izzy. Obviously Izzy has fought up at light heavyweight before, but Pereira is no joke. And He's taken some of Izzy's comments very seriously. Now, before Pereira was in the UFC, Israel Adesanya actually talked about Pereira and said, you know, one day this dude is going to be in a bar with his mates to saying, you know, I beat this guy twice. Obviously, Pereira has been pretty insulted by that, thinking that he's just going to be sitting in a bar with his mates, reliving the glory days where he beat the superstar. Well, Pereira, I think we're proving this guy has got a little while before he's sitting in a bar reminiscing on his prime because he is currently in his prime not only is he a legendary kickboxer but he's actually transitioned over to mma and he is beating top level competition so this is not just like a match being put together so that they can sell tickets for izzy up against Pereira. like this dude is genuinely overqualified to be there like i know his grappling needs some work let's not forget he's training with glover Teixeira, but this guy's the best kickboxer in the UFC. I genuinely believe that. I think his credentials outside of the UFC believe uh, or show that rather. And I, I do like when guys from other sports or other places can kind of get fast-tracked into big fights because they've shown they can handle it. I'm thinking Michael Chandler, a three-time Bellator lightweight champion who had some criticism about when he got the title shot, only one fight into his career, as if he hadn't built up this really impressive resume elsewhere. And I feel the same about Pereira. I think he's built a good enough resume to suggest that he can compete at the highest level. And I got to tell you, I could not be more excited for Izzy up against Pereira. So Pereira with the round one knockout over Sean Strickland. 
I thought maybe round two. I, I was surprised it happened that quickly, but no doubt Poetan is the real deal. So Alex Pereira getting the win, and that led us in to our two title fight main events. Let's start with the featherweight title main event. And look, lift up to the expectation, Holloway and Volkanovski for a third time. And I took Volkanovski by decision, but this was a really interesting one to see whether one of them could stamp their mark and put a definitive stamp on this rivalry. And Volkanovski did that. He won all five rounds. It was an absolute masterclass. And he actually broke his thumb or something in his hand in the first round. So very, very impressive from Alexander Volkanovski. He gets past Max Holloway, who undoubtedly is that best number one contender. He deserves that number one ranking spot. So very interesting where Volkanovski goes from here. He has spoken about wanting to go up and challenge Charles Bronx Oliveira for the belt. I would fucking love that. Now, seems like Islam Makashev is going to get the first shot. But, I mean, Volkanovski, it makes a ton of sense for him to get a shot at that lightweight title. Up against Oliveira, that would be one hell of a matchup. So, would definitely love to see that. But, as I said, I think Makashev going to get the first shot. So, as for what's next for Volkanovski, one of the greatest featherweights we have ever seen, Josh Emmett, it seems. Look, he, in a way, I don't want to say disrespected. It was a very, very close win that he had over Kelvin Cater. A lot of people saw Cater actually winning that. But Josh Emmett has won five straight. And yeah, they didn't even put him ringside. Apparently, he was fucking sitting in like the nosebleeds or something. Didn't get that premier treatment from the UFC. So, Josh Emmett, look, he has busted his ass for the UFC, has put his body on the line every single time. I I wouldn't complain if he got the title shot. He said he'd be game to do it in Australia as well, which Volkanovski mentioned. I'm getting booed. Like, the Americans, honestly, fucking the booing is ridiculous. Like, I can see the Volkanovski booing because of the love for Holloway, but, like, you know, basically, the United States, they'll just boo you because you're not from America. Like, I think one of the best examples, Zhang Wei Li, one of the most wholesome characters we have in mixed martial arts. I would be surprised if a cockroach was on her wall. I reckon she would take it out and, you know, make sure it gets out of the house safe rather than squash it. Like, Zhang Wei Li is such a beautiful individual and she got booed the shit out of. Uh, There's been another couple of examples. Like, I remember Nick Diaz up against Robbie Lawler. Uh, in their recent encounter, and the fans were booing Robbie Lawler. Like, yeah, you like Nick Diaz, but like, I don't know. The booing, I'm just, I'm not about it. It does add to the atmosphere. Like, the Volkanovski booing, I don't mind as much, but I did love when Volk was coming out. The crowd were booing, and he was just looking down the lens of the camera, saying, you know, talking to Australians, saying, I know you guys are supporting me. I fucking let them boo. Like, I know you guys are supporting me. This is for you. And I love that. Like, I was thoroughly enjoying watching him make that walk down under playing by Men at Work. And the scene was just set so perfectly. Volkanovski, I think you got to stop booing him. Not for any other reason than you're just fueling him. Like, you're clearly giving him something to work with. And yeah, if you wanted to put him off his game, you've done the complete opposite by booing him because you've just given him that extra level. Like, he's done so much and there's still not that respect there. So he's not going to rest on his laurels. He's not going to come out and just be like, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. I'll keep my title. Like, in his mind, he's got to be thinking, 
fuck these people. Like, I can't have done much more. I've beaten Holloway twice, now three times. He's beaten Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, the Korean Zombie, amongst others. So I just think if you're going to boo him, all you're doing is adding extra fuel for him to be like, okay, people still don't respect me. People still don't take me as seriously as they should. So I'm going to go out and give them another reason as to why they should take me seriously. So highly impressive from Volkanovski. I would love to see Volkanovski up against Emmett on Australian shores. That would be a great main event. I think Emmett's done enough to deserve it. I think Volk has done enough to earn a home title defense. And the Australian crowd have done enough, waiting patiently to get a big UFC card. So I'd love to see Volk up against Josh Emmett next. Obviously, someone like Arnold Allen is definitely still in the mix. And then you have Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega, who are competing in a fight night main event coming up. So look, Ortega's already had the shot, but if Yair Rodriguez wins, then it could be fair to say that he's next up for a title shot. But let's not forget, Yair Rodriguez lost to Max Holloway. If he wins, then that would only be one win in a row, or just one win, really. Uh, whereas Josh Emmett, he's got that win streak going. He's got that proven record. And I think he's done enough. I think he's put his body on the line enough to warrant a title shot. And I'd like to see Volkanovski give it to him. So we'll have to wait and see what's next for Alexander Volkanovski. But now let's get to our main event. A very contentious one, not because of the decision, but the way it went down. Now, Israel Adesanya getting a five-round decision victory over Jared Cannonier. Fans leaving early, a lot of people labeling it boring. Now, in Israel's defense, most definitely, like, you gotta remember, the same as the Pedro Munoz thing, this is fucking cage fighting. Like, it's all good to be like, put on an entertaining fight for the fans, and then all of a sudden you get in that mind space, like, how can I entertain the fans? And then you rush forward and you get knocked out and you lose your title. And MMA has some of the most fickle fans I have ever seen. So, all of a sudden, he gets knocked out by Jared Cannonier, and everyone's just like, Israel's a fucking pretender, blah, 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 this, that, this, that. I don't think there's anything wrong with avoiding strikes and not taking unnecessary damage. So I will say that, but again, in the defense of the fans, it was pretty boring. And I don't take blame with either of the fighters for that because, yeah, I just feel like if I get in there... I'm not going to put on a fucking entertaining fight. I might put on one of the most entertaining meltdowns and bed shits you'll ever see in the cage. But I just feel like, yeah, it's it's one thing that's really easy from the television or from your couch to be like, fuck, this is so boring. He's just standing at range, like, you know, doing nothing at all. But it'd be a totally different beast being in there. Like when you've got someone nicknamed the Killer Gorilla who has knockouts at heavyweight, light heavyweight and middleweight, doesn't make a ton of sense to put yourself in vulnerable positions, does it? So I've seen the other side of the coin where people are saying, well, what about Kananir? Why didn't he do something? This is Israel Adesanya we're talking about, one of the most evasive fighters the mixed martial arts world has ever seen. So again, I know there's the argument of like, oh, blah, 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 like Jared Kananir is the fighter. I'm not the fighter. It's like, exactly. So Look, if you want to fucking try hit Israel Adesanya, be my guest. But that's my defense as far as, like, yes, it was a boring fight. Um, but does it need to be an exciting fight at the expense of potentially his health, his championship belt, his livelihood? I'm not sure about that. But it was boring.
it it was pretty boring. I'm a Kiwi, so I was happy to see Israel defend his title, but yeah, it is like fucking fifty five bucks to book these things. You know, they ain't they ain't cheap. So you do want to get your money's worth in that sense. And the one thing I'll say, not in defense of Israel Adesanya, is that he talked a fat game going into this one. Talked about how I'm gonna show off. I'm gonna make it look easy, like all this stuff. I think that's why the fans were like, "This is fucking boring," because Israel really set the scene that he was gonna do something special. He said himself, "I'm gonna show off." That, in a way, I guess it's showing off. It's like, yeah, this guy can't even touch me. I don't have to do much to get the job done. But he didn't show off. I don't think. And he said he was gonna do spectacular things, and he didn't. So. In that regard, definitely it was a boring fight. I can understand why people are pissed off. If he had come out and just said, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to make sure this guy doesn't touch me because he can't touch me. I'm just going to evade his strikes. I'm not even going to have to break a sweat to get rid of this guy. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, he did what he said he was going to do. Fuck, did I enjoy watching it? Not really, but um, like that's what he said he was going to do. But Adesanya, he did talk a big game. He said he was going to show off. He said he was going to make it look easy. He said all these things. And yeah, fighters have to sell a fight. But yeah, I feel like the hype that he was trying to bring, he didn't present that or translate that with his actual fighting. And yeah, like he said himself, he had an off night. And it's more than fair for him to have an off night. Sometimes you get in there. And you have every intention of showing off and giving a great performance for the fans. Um, but yeah, what do you do when your opponent has the perfect game plan? It seems like MMA Lab and John Crouch gave Jared Cannonier a fantastic game plan to deal with what Adesanya planned to do to him. So I think we need to take that into account that Israel probably was preparing for a huge night, really did want to show off. And then all of a sudden he gets in there and he's like, fuck, Cannonier. Cannonier's prepared for this. Cannonier knows exactly how to counteract what I'm trying to throw at him. The problem was that Cannonier didn't really bring much to the table in terms of his offense, which again, very critical considering Izzy has proven to be the hardest guy to hit in the division. But yeah, that's basically it. Fans found it boring. Fans left. I can understand why. He took that route. I mean, why wouldn't you take minimal damage? And hey, maybe you'll be ready to go at the back end of next year, get another title, or back end of this year rather, to get another title defense in. So it makes a ton of sense. Like if I had the ability and Jared Cannonier was trying to hit me, I would most likely just try and avoid his strikes and then hit him with what I can. Jared Cannonier, tell you what, definitely not the kind of guy you want to come running up on because he'll fucking shut your lights out and... Sean Strickland and Alex Pereira was this amazing fight, and it was a great, great example. If you rush up on someone, or if you try and stand and bang with the wrong guy, no matter how good you are, you're going to get your lights shut out. And Jared Cannonier absolutely had that potential to completely clock Izzy flush and knock him out. I felt that, like I knew that Izzy, very much a deserved favorite, but there was something like I was enthralled and intrigued by that fight, because I thought... All it takes in a 25-minute fight is a couple of clean connections from Cannonier to totally turn this fight on its head. So I was excited going into it. I can understand why fans are disappointed. But with that being said, the disappointment doesn't last long because all of a sudden now, 
all the chat. Israel Adesanya, Alex Pereira, kickboxing rivals, a storied history there. We all know Pereira has beaten him twice, once by knockout, which nobody in the UFC has done as well. Alex Pereira has pretty much proved to us as well, like, this guy is no joke. This isn't some, like, UFC storyline where they've just brought this guy in and given him the Dana White privilege, if you will, to try and fast-track him. This is a guy who is genuinely dangerous. We saw that up against Sean Strickland, who had a claim to a title shot had he won that, and Pereira finished him in the first round. Only one other person in Strickland's career has knocked him out. And let's not forget as well, heading into that one, Sean Strickland had a middleweight record of 20 wins and no losses. So Pereira is no joke. And I think we all know that Adesanya and Pereira is going to be one of the fights of the year. Whether that happens this year or next, I'm not too sure, but the hype is going to be so real for that one. And look, if you thought the Cannoneer fight was boring, there is no way in hell this fight is going to play out the same. All it takes, and we've seen it from Pereira, is one big strike. He's going to have 25 minutes to do so. Adesanya is going to want to prove once and for all that he is the better man and that all this talk of what happened in kickboxing was in the past and that he is the present and the future of mixed martial arts, not just kickboxing, but mixed martial arts as a whole. So the narratives are there most definitely. The storyline is set and I am already chomping at the bit for this fight to be announced. So if you didn't enjoy Cannoneer and Izzy, Let's just wait for Pereira and Izzy because I have no doubt in my mind it is going to be an absolute banger. And yeah, I, I think Pereira definitely has the tools to knock Izzy out. So let's not also forget that when Pereira knocked Izzy out, he said, I had these big pillow kickboxing gloves. They were not four ounce gloves. There is a hell of a lot less between Pereira's fist and Israel Adesanya's face. So We've seen as recently as this Cannoneer fight that evasion is key to Izzy's strategy, but unlike Cannoneer, Pereira is going to push the pace, he's going to get in his face, and one wrong move is all it's going to take for Israel Adesanya to go down. So I am very, very intrigued in this upcoming middleweight main event championship fight. Where's it going to be? When's it going to be? We don't know, but what I do know is that this is going to be one of the most anticipated fights we have ever seen in the UFC. So with that being said, those were my rapid takes on UFC 276 as a whole. My favorite performance of the whole night, Alex Pereira, and that is saying something given the Australian and Kiwi contingent on the card. There's something about Pereira though that really, really gets me hyped up. Something about those knockouts, it's just my exact kind of flavor of what I like in a fighter. He has so many credentials that he's built up from outside of the UFC. And now there are a lot of questions, a lot of what ifs. And interesting to see when he does go up against a very quality grappler. How does that go? We did see Andreas Michelidis in Pereira's UFC debut, who is a bit more of a grappler. But how would Pereira go against someone like Andre Muniz or a Derek Brunson? Uh, Brunson he'd probably knock out we know that Brunson prone to getting knocked out but there are a lot of interesting narratives that are starting to form what happens if Pereira becomes champion a lot of interesting things let's not forget he could definitely move up to light heavyweight and go for dual championship status a lot to think about so with that being said this has been UFC 276 thoughts and comments 
like I just said, I have a lot to think about. So now I'm probably just going to sit in my room and ponder the future of the 185 pound middleweight division and the UFC as a whole. But also, if you enjoyed this podcast, do not forget to follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report and follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. You'll be able to see as soon as this weekend's fight night preview and predictions drops, headlined by lightweights Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fazeev, a battle of the Rafaels. I enjoy that narrative from the get-go. So 10, 1, and 1 no contest this past week head-to-head. Very quality head-to-head predictions. Some pretty decent method ones, but I'll try to iron that out during the week. But let's try and keep this quality run going. Going to try and get a perfect weekend for this weekend's fight night. A big ask, but it is possible. So I will be back this week for UFC preview and predictions. That should be a very fun card as well. Excited to see Ricky Tercios, the bantamweight ultimate fighter winner. And there are other names along the card that you definitely need to keep an eye on. So I'll go through that whole card top to bottom at the middle of the week, middle to end. I'm going to start recording it now and doing all my notes and going through the study. Takes a long time for me to put these together. A lot of research and study. That's what makes the picks pretty accurate. So I think it's all worth it. With that being said, this has been UFC 276 thoughts and comments. And until the preview and predictions, take care of yourselves.